Hello. <laughs> I just got your I just got your tweet. Yeah. <laughs> Morning. Hey. Um yeah, hello. Easter in the house. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. It's Easter tomorrow. Very, very easy to forget these details when you're freelance. Uh, <laughs> well, I say freelance, unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're sitting around at home all day. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I'm, uh, I'm feeling all professional podcaster recently because I've just been doing nothing but editing podcasts of myself and others for weeks now, just solidly, uh, and they're going to come out and stuff. And like, yeah. So I'm feeling all professional. You know, like I'm going to talk in sentences about topics. We're going to knock through them nice and quickly. Let's do it. What have you got? What have you got? First up. Well. I mean, I'm going to put my headphones on. I'm going to be professional enough to put my headphones on so that you're not getting all the sort of blowback from my microphone. Yeah. You know, Skype seems to cut that out pretty well. Yeah. I mean, we enjoy talking about and shitting on Disney. And mm. uh, over the past few weeks, <laughs> yeah, we've been getting, well, technically they're called trailers. I see them more as threats <laughs> of future films. So we had the first The Lion King trailer with speech in it. Mm. And I didn't like at all how all the animals look photorealistic, which means that their faces are really hard to read, just like real animals. Yeah, they, but, they literally don't have the same facial expressions as us, or it would look frightening. Yeah, uh, but they have the voiceover of like the original film <laughs> in that style. Yeah. See, I've got, a, I've got a way of fixing this that I think they could have gone with. The problem that we have here is that, yeah, animals do not have the same facial expressions as people. Um, and they have facial expressions, but not the same ones. So like yeah. a cat, when it's like uh, angry, it'll do a face that's similar to a, a human-looking surprise. And when a cat is... Uh, and lions are cats, so this may be similar. When a cat is happy, it'll kind of look like sleepy uh, to a human. Um, and you learn to read these things very quickly, but they are different. So I think what they should do is come up with, for this film, some kind of way of, like, representing lions and other animals as though they did have the faces of other humans. And I think you could do this by, like, drawing them with pencils and pens. If you, Because if you did that, then you wouldn't have to worry about the realism, and you could have it be... Do you, see what I, do you see what I mean? You could almost have, like, cartoon faces on these animals, and it would probably read a lot better. That sounds like a really good idea. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I'm going to develop it further. We'll see how we go. Yeah. Maybe you'll uh, create, like, a specialized desk for this purpose. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that would be good. And then, when I've finished using it once, I'll burn it forever. And I yeah. won't even give it to any students. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, yeah, we had the Aladdin trailer, and that just looks stupid. Mm. I mean, it looks awful. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, now... <sighs> It looks better than I thought it would, which isn't exactly the same thing as thinking it looks good. Yeah, and uh, I mean, it feels guaranteed to just be mediocre trash at best. This is, now, and this is the this is the problem with the Lion King. I, no disrespect, by the way, to anyone involved in any of these films. I think I've made my position clear before on these. Like, I think the people who make them are doing an incredibly difficult job, and good on them. And I'm happy they have the work, and I'm proud of them. But someone in the making of The Lion King 
decided that all the color should be washed out of it and that that mm. is realistic even though i would i not I haven't been there but i bet that in like a, an environment such as the african plains or nearby jungle that's probably where colors are the most saturated maybe in the world because the sunlight is the is the brightest and our eyes developed there so that probably is going to look very colorful there and the original film represented uh, reflected that whereas this film they they very deliberately made it look as dull as possible and then with Aladdin there's a bit more color in it but they've made it look as dull as possible with their casting um which is just like you know like generic hunky men yeah it's like when Ubisoft made the Prince of Persia Sands of Time movie, mm -hmm. where in the original game, it was cartoony and really expressive. It was uh, like a more like a 90s Disney film, except with the uh, game CG graphics. And then they made a live action version of it. And everyone was just uh, generic actors and not very good ones. So uh, they, they got the... Uh, Kind of the B tier people to like play the villains and everything, and this is kind of what the Aladdin looks like. Mm. It'll be about as memorable. Where maybe ten years from now, someone will remind you that oh, remember that came out. It yeah, it, this is a big thing, isn't it? Yeah, Sorry, carry on. Yeah, and I was just reminded of like the RoboCop remake. It's it's yeah. They're, it feels like they're now landing at that level of quality with the Disney live-action remakes. <laughs> I mean, uh, having watched a, a number of them and having watched Robocop, I prefer the Robocop remake to many or most of these uh, Disney films, but not all of them. There's one I've really enjoyed, and that was The Jungle Book. Mm. Um, now, the problem there is that I that leads me to what I think that we're going to remember this as, which is the 90s live-action Jungle Book. When we were recording The Serious Disney's, about the Jungle Book film. We compared it to that, and we, we talked about how it's way better and more worthwhile than that, and it is. But in terms of memorability, very, very quickly, we're going to just forget these films and their contents. And I've forgotten most of them, and I've recorded detailed podcasts about them. Now, you know I've got a terrible memory, so maybe that's just me. But the Disney, they, I think it was Disney, did a live-action Jungle Book in about 1998, thereabouts. It might have been earlier than that. And who remembers that? Like, it was, it landed as a big wet nothing. We don't remember it. And I think that these films are going to go the same way, or maybe more aptly, the way of the live-action 101 Dalmatians. Because, yes, we remember that that existed, but, but what was in it? Can we, as a culture, do we really hold it up in much regard compared to the animated 101 Dalmatians? And which means that these are honestly quite alchemically perfect if they're if the point of them is as has been suggested uh, some way of maintaining the copyright on old films um i don't really understand how that works so it may just be an urban legend but that was always the story of what uh, the the sequels era the straight straight to dvd disney sequels were about um and it's what i'm hearing that these are about maybe that's just a way for people to justify their existence against the baffling reality of their existence yeah i mean that's it sounds like it because uh, if you want to try and find a justification for something existing you'll find people speculating on forums yes. and reddit and whatever and they're just pulling ideas out of their ass almost desperately yeah because we have to understand it's 
I think there's a part of us that when there is a film, we have to understand why. Uh, maybe that's just people our age, maybe people younger than us who literally have only grown up in a world where every single film of note is a sequel to another film or a remake of another film. At the moment, uh, but but we come from a time when those franchises began and it's we remember what it was like when they first came out and were their own thing and were a cultural phenomenon by themselves without having to be part of a series. Um, and so, yeah, I have this need to understand why a film exists before I can fully enjoy it, before I can really sit down and appreciate it. I don't know quite what I mean by that because I've not thought about it before, but these films lack that. Yeah, and I guess sometime, I guess five, seven, ten years ago, in some meeting at Disney, they thought it would be someone pitched the idea of making photorealistic remakes of all the old 2D animated films, and they thought that it was a cool-sounding idea, and now they're just... Uh, started with the jungle book i guess and then they're just making yeah. one after the other and i've i've half an idea where that idea came from by the way because i know that as as long as 20 years ago they were considering making a, a live action movie based on the stage musical of beauty and the beast an idea which made total sense you know you go from it made sense for them to take this extremely broadway cartoon and put it on broadway that made sense and then to take a Broadway musical and make it into a live action film, that makes sense. So that those three steps make sense. Unfortunately, we were so deep into this nightmare project by the time the Beauty and the Beast film did come out that not only had they removed anything from the musical that wasn't in the original film, but they screwed it up and changed it around and made up new songs that are rubbish. And yeah, it wasn't that wasn't what we got. And it's a shame because a live-action film of the Beauty and the Beast musical would have been good and made sense. Yeah. Well, I do have some good news. Uh, Dumbo. Okay. Hey, remember Dumbo came out? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I looked at the box office mojo, and it says that it's made uh, $278 million, which is a lot less than Alita that's made $400 million. So Hooray! We can, oh, good. Yeah, we, we can only hope that they're... Uh, they made some kind of loss on this and that uh, Tim Burton never makes another Disney movie. <laughs> yes, just as we say every time Tim Burton makes a film. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, honestly. I mean, and I and I heard there was a little thread. Um, I think it was like Jenny Nicholson or someone like that uh, posted on Twitter last night. I don't know anything about this film because, of course, I'm not at this point going to go and see it. I'll see it from a podcast, but I'm not hmm. going to the cinema to see it. Um, and apparently there's a storyline in it. So in the original... Um, Dumbo, um, the, the the little mouse tricks him into believing that he can do anything as long as he's holding the magic feather, which is just a feather that the mouse plucked out of somewhere just before uh, he gave it to him. And um, I think he plucks it out of one of the crows and they need him to believe in himself and his ability to fly. So he's like, oh, well, here's the magic feather. This will let you do it. And um, this was quite apt. I, I, I understood this plot point when I watched Dumbo at age, what must have been three or, or four. So it's obviously it, th that level of duplicity makes sense even to a small child mm. but in the film in the new film rather they've they've complicated that which is that dumbo just believes in magic feathers generally or something and he and he thinks as long as he's holding feathers he can do things and then at the end um and and, and it's because he and, and this is sweet i get this because you can't the, the crows aren't going to be in this version it has to be all realistic so it's going to be all humans but somehow 
this feather reminds him of his mother and it's part of the grieving process. So great. So fine. But then so, so what that means is that when he loses the feather, it's more emotionally um, hard hitting. All right. OK, fine, you idiots. But they then have this resolution where to get him to believe that he can fly without a magic feather, um, a human girl um, tells him that she doesn't need the key that she wears around her neck. And she throws it into some, you know, water or something. She throws it away, and um, and there's and and on the surface you can see how that makes sense. You know, they've both got things which, and apparently, by the way, this key reminds her of her mother. Um, they've both got these things that they have that remind them of their of their dead mother or something, and now they can, you know, move on from them. The the problem is, as as I think it was Jenny Nicholson pointed out on Twitter, is that the film. It's like the film is saying, let go of these these sort of crutches that you hold on to that remind you of the past. But the film never actually remembers to frame these things as bad because they're not. Like Dumbo is a baby who's mourning the death of his mother and has one remnant of her left. And uh, and this girl as well, it just isn't a problem. This, you know, this girl is never portrayed in, in any way as needing to get rid of this key either. And also it's not the same thing so it's it's exactly the kind of storytelling we expect from this sort of film, isn't it? Where it's like, sort of, in the moment, you can see, you know what they're saying. And you're probably, in that moment, kind of fooled by what they're saying. You're like, yeah, okay, yeah, you need to let go of these shackles. But then, actually, it isn't any, it isn't any good. Yeah, as expected. <laughs> as expected. Have you heard the uh, Dumbo uh, rumor that's going around? No. Are you aware of the cartoon The Three Little Pigs? The old Disney Merry Melodies with the, um, uh, what was the song? Who's Afraid of the Big Bad Wolf? That comes from, from this cartoon. And, yeah. Um, yeah, it was a very, it's probably the most famous of the Merry Melodies cartoons, the, the Disney experimental cartoons that are sort of fairly artsy. And, um, and in it, there's a part in which the Big Bad Wolf shows up uh, at their door in disguise. Now, I can't currently remember what he was in disguise as, but I know it was a racial stereotype. I think it might have been, you know, uh, Native American at, the, at first. And that didn't go down very well. So then they, they reanimated it. Um, and now he was dressed as a, a, as a Jewish person. <laughs> <laughs> and that didn't go down very well either. So, and I could be wrong about these details, but it's that sort of thing. And finally, you know, because this had to come out on home video and be released in the 80s, 90s, whatever... I, I believe they redid it again so that he, you know, he just dresses as an old man or something like that. Mm. Well, there's a rumor going around that um, this is what's going to happen on Disney Plus with Dumbo because the entire, um, the, the whole film revolves around Dumbo flying and Dumbo's flying revolves around the meeting of a team of crows and the team of crows are a racial stereotype. Now, I grew up thinking that it wasn't that bad of a racial stereotype because, you, you know, you like them, they're not bad people, um, uh, they help to save the day, and so on. But as I've got a bit older, uh, you know, yeah, I can see part of what the problem is, and I certainly think that the biggest part of what the problem is is that the leader of them is called Jim Crow and um, is played by a, by a white man doing a, a sort of a black man sort of a voice. Now, for the time that it was made, it's actually an in, a sort of like one of the least racist examples of racial stereotyping that exist in film. But today, it is uncomfortable. And so, I've thought for a while that it's 
perfectly fine for me, an owner of the Blu-ray, whose version of the film, you know, will not be deleted, for them to release a, a version that you can just show to your kids and not worry about it. And I think because ma- most of those references mm-hmm. are completely meaningless to children, or yeah. I don't think most people growing up, it will be yeah. completely meaningless to them. Like, even I haven't <clears throat> bothered to look up what Jim Crow means. So to me, it's like, right. who gives a shit? <laughs> Whereas if you're someone who's kind of well-read on it and can, I guess... Uh, read more into it uh, at that point it might be uh, seem uh, inappropriate but I think yeah. the target audience who is uh, children, people growing up who don't give a fuck I think it's just, just leave it as is well <laughs> the reason why the reason why it's difficult to, to just leave it as is is, is what Jim Crow is um, Jim Crow was the name of the uh, racial segregation laws in America <laughs> Um, so it's kind of like saying, well, you know, the guy, you know, the guy from, is it Huckleberry Finn who has a racist name? And there's this question over like, well, we'll leave this in, but how do we read it out loud to children? It's a similar thing to that. It's like, yeah, what a child watching, including myself, I was very, you know, as I say, three or four when I watched it, it took me until the last couple of years to understand why. Yeah. To me, a white man, this literally doesn't matter. But when you find out what it is. It does matter because it's the ne- it's like not exactly laughing at. No, it is. It is laughing at racial segregation laws um, in a way that still hadn't resolved itself. You know, there hadn't been the uh, you know the the movement yet that had sort of fixed all that. So all you have to do is either, frankly, I think what you do is you either get in um, a team of black musicians. And just get them to revoice that moment, uh, or you reanimate it slightly differently, uh, put it into the film. But you've got to keep. You can't do it in a. You can't do it in a um, <clears throat> George Lucas way. You have to keep the original there, partly for people like me who just like uncomfortable though I am with it. I it is something I've always loved, so I do want it there, and partly because it, there's a precedent for it, which is the Three Little Pigs. Now that might not be. The, the, that, by the way, I've just realized I've got it wrong. That's not what the rumor is. That's what I think that the uh, appropriate solution for Disney Plus is. Mm. Um, actually, the rumor is that they're simply cutting the crow scene out. Now, if you do that, you don't have a film anymore. Because what happens in the film, of course, is that he he you know just wakes up in a tree, having flown in his sleep. And then the crows um, teach him that he can do it again. And then literally the film ends. So you would have, without the crows, probably a film that's about 35 minutes long without a story in it. So they've got to do something. Yeah, and I I think... So I don't know how early in uh, American education people have to go through the rigmarole of learning everything about their history and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. But for the target audience, I think... All those references are completely meaningless. But I can see that uh, if you're Disney, you want to be completely squeaky clean. So I guess you, I guess the least destructive way would be to redub the film to smooth over those references. But I think in practice, if you just show, if you just put it up as is, the only people who are going to 
think about that in any way are people who are hyper-focused on finding and criticizing anything that could possibly ever be uh, offensive to anyone. Whereas most people, it'll just fly over their heads, especially children who don't even have a concept of... uh, um, the history of racism yet well yeah that's true <laughs> well no that's true they won't yeah. understand what the problem is but that's 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 why it's important that's why it's important because and most racists are people who when they were children didn't see the problem with taking in racist information as just basically normal and yeah, then yeah, this is an example of that yeah, but it's just a it's just a name it's one thing if it's mm, i don't know about that it's a, it's a name of something that was yeah, but it's just awful. It's a name of a law. Uh-huh. It's meaningless. It means nothing. It means nothing to them. It'll just be oh, it's his name, Jim Crow. It's a crow named Jim. Okay. Yeah. And then ten years later, they learn in school about it, and maybe someone will uh, bring it up as a, um, hey, remember that thing from Dumbo? And I will be, ha, huh, yeah. Yes, and, that's and that's it. Not, yes, no, yes, a child knowing the name Jim Crow is in no way going to become racist from that. That's that yeah. much is true. The problem is the problem isn't that's not what the problem is. The problem isn't like indoctrination of children. The problem is that and and this is and honestly this is partly from Disney's point of view. Do you remember how um <laughs> do you remember how that time when Pixar slipped up by naming one of their the background characters in Cars 2? the worst racial slur in British English. It's just an example of that. No, a, ch- a child watching Cars isn't going to see that character and and become racist. But someone who is someone who is of the nationality that the racist name in the Disney film is against is going to watch that film and be like, "Thanks Disney, great. Yeah, put that in." Um so it behooves Disney to simply edit it out. And the problem is, how do you do that without Oh, and it's not, and by the way, the the two problems with this are not just the joke about the, the segregation laws. It's the fact that that joke only lands because this is a... I mean, it is literally a minstrel show. You've got these guys drawn as caricature... Crow caricatures of, like, of a black... Well, singing troupe, which was called, a, you know, a minstrel troupe or whatever they called back in the day. Um, and uh, and voiced by a white guy. It's the, guy, it's the, it's the man who um, did the voice for Jiminy Cricket. And that's why I think that you can fix it by... By recasting the voices. Yeah, well, voice actors, I don't think anyone cares about the ethnicity of the voice actor because it's just a voice actor. It's not on screen. So, And also, I think uh, there's actually uh, probably value in keeping it as it is because anyone who knows enough about the history of racism to... Uh, notice that at all in Dumbo it's probably smart enough to notice that this animation is really old look how yeah. times have changed and, like, and, and um, can like under- Song of the South yeah and, and can understand historical context because they're not morons um, well that's that's that yeah and that's why Disney do you see what I mean that's why Disney are probably going to have to change it because the response to that is not to show your kids the film if you see what I mean so and it's a good film like the rest of it, it it's lovely you know kids should probably see it um and so yeah if you're and, gonna and have because who... because everything else is so good and it's just a tiny thing that's uh like in periphery of like the whole context what what you come away from dumbo mm-hmm. with isn't that you've now been brainwashed into uh, a racist 
it's something completely different. It's it's practically meaningless on the whole. So that's why I think. No, it's just... I don't agree with that because one of the because I would say out of the songs, I'm trying to think what the songs in Dumbo are. There's there's Baby Mine is quite famous, but certainly when I was a kid, the one that got highlighted all the time was this song, and uh, the, the the crows do when I see an elephant fly. I would say is at least maybe not anymore, but when I was a kid, that was the one that you saw you know clips of and so on, um, and that. Well, you know, I don't need to tell you that. Well, perhaps I do. I mean, did you have the black and white minstrel show uh, or equivalent uh, in Sweden growing up? Because, well, I didn't have it growing up. It had already been axed by the time I was born. But we had this uh, we had this TV show, which was extremely popular. Um, it was really, really popular here in the UK up through, I think, the 70s, which was um, the black and white minstrel show, which is essentially a national embarrassment now. And we do we we don't you don't see clips of it or anything because it's literally just blackface. So you've got um, a, a big a stage full of like white performers with, you know, full on blackface, you know, big red uh, lips drawn around their mouths, all of it. And they do songs. And the weird thing about it is that, like, depending on who you talk to, if you talk to someone who was like who's now quite old and watched it at the time, they'll defend it as not having been particularly racist because and this is the same situation you've got with Dumbo. Many of the actual performance, like many of the actual songs in it were just songs and they were performing them sincerely rather than, you know, doing references to 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 well racist things um as in as in they weren't necessarily always performing uh, a, a hateful caricature but they were always performing in blackface so so we just stopped doing that um and uh and everything's now fine uh, as as far as that show goes because it's not on anymore and we don't repeat it um so this is an example of that like people do care you know, I mean, you say nobody cares, but they do. Loads of people do, and um, and in fact, how, how many decades ago was that? <laughs> uh, which the minstrel show or yeah. Dumbo? Uh, the minstrel Mi show, whereas uh, Dumbo yeah, that was the seventies. Whereas now it's like it hasn't been on the table to uh, cut up and uh, mutilate Dumbo until now. No, that's not true. It has. They've just um, it's it, it's been in a. It's been in a position similar to what Aladdin's been going through, where mm. what Aladdin's been going through as if it's his, the trials that he's faced. No, um, a few years ago, uh, Aladdin um, in America wasn't available on Blu-ray. This was it, this was you know the Blu-ray era. It was never available. It is now. Uh, it came out. Of, what was it? Maybe I feel like you know a while ago, like maybe four or five years ago, something like that. But for a long time, I had the Blu-ray of Aladdin, and you could only get it. Um, in Britain or in various other places. Uh, I couldn't get it in America. And uh, there was a lot of uh, sort of confused Disney fans, and it seemed to be, and we don't have confirmation of this, but it seemed to be that, yes, they were worried for a while that it just had just too many Middle Eastern stereotypes in it. Um, they already they actually cut one out between um, the release of Aladdin in the cinemas in America and the release of Aladdin in cinemas anywhere else. They had a line in the opening song, which was where they'll cut off your ear if you don't if they don't like your face. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home. So they changed it to when the winds from the east. No, uh, where it's flat and immense and the heat is intense. It's barbaric, but hey, it's home, which is kind of trying to reframe it as if like it, it's the weather conditions that are what's barbaric. <laughs> and um, so that one happened sort of 
you know, day one of, of Aladdin coming out. And then since then, yeah, I think they just got squeamish about it. And uh, it's been interesting waiting for this uh, new Aladdin to come out, the, the live-action version, because, like, are they going to address that or not? And unfortunately, the way that they seem to have addressed it is by um, just casting a young, sexy Jafar as well as a young, sexy Aladdin, which I am not personally interested in or up for. Yeah. Well, anyway, I'm... I'm... I feel like I'm in uh, a completely different mindset than many of these people uh, who, who yeah. are finding yeah, offensive. Yeah, of course you are. You're white. I am too. I'm white as well. Shut up, you racist. That doesn't matter. <laughs> I th- I'm I'm okay with mildly offensive material all over the place. Like uh, when Japanese people make uh, uh, horrific stereotypes of any kind of foreigner in any of their anime. I, I think that's just funny. And uh, whenever they portray America, it's... Uh, like a comedic caricature of it, and I, really? I just find that funny instead of, I don't know, going over there with uh, pitchforks and saying that I've been uh, slighted. Oh, but, not me! I'll go over there with the pitchfork now. I'm booking my flight to Japan right now. Yeah, <laughs> so I'm fine with all these uh, things I think you can get in, in car- airports these days. Sorry, no, I, I, I'm fine with all the things in cartoons because they like. <sighs> It's possible for people to, I guess, talk to each other and explain what's happening in them. But I guess it's it feels typical that because <laughs> it's Disney yeah. and their corporate image is more important than any artist's individual expression or uh, like human fallacies. I can understand why you'd want to completely sanitize and remove any kind of... Um, <sighs> thing that was uh, appropriate mm. for the time kind of uh, tiny little flaws that humans put in their art I, I can understand why disney would want to kind of torch all of that from any of their works because <laughs> uh, some someone on twitter finds it uh, says that oh if you in- reinterpret it this way you could accidentally brainwash a child into uh, becoming a member of the kkk no, that's not what it is, though. The, what's, this is because it's um, it's the, it, the the issue here is Disney Plus, not the film mm. itself. Although, well, it's a it's a complicated one because it's not. I mean, you're framing it as if it's like just something a person on Twitter recently came up with. But this is like this is this discussion of this film has been going on for about as long as the film's been out. Yeah. And in fact, um, they've released it on Blu-ray, uncut. So we have that now. I've got that on my shelf now. So, yes, I would be very uncomfortable with, you know, in, in film preservation terms, if it just disappeared. And and I go quite deep on that. I'm very uncomfortable with the Blu-ray of The Lion King, which, not for any racial reason, they they presume, seemingly accidentally uh, edited out the clouds from the Mufasa cloud scene, uh, the most famous scene in the film, uh, apart from maybe, you know, lifting the baby up off the rock. Um and they just, it, it must be a mistake. So I am i am bothered by that sort of thing. And I haven't yet been through Dumbo with a fine-toothed enough comb to see what else, what what may be wrong with the Blu-ray of that. Because they got Little Mermaid wrong as well. Um, but, no, what we're talking about here is Disney+, Plus, which is going yeah. to be the new uh, streaming service from Disney. Which makes it... Because it's, because it's streaming, rather than like an artifact that you own, that you can say, like, oh, here's an old film... When it's streaming, there's something about that which is like the cheap way of accessing films. It's almost like sitting down in the Disney store. And so they do need to be a bit more careful about what's on there. Because 
the usually when you have a Blu-ray or or a DVD of an old Disney film, it starts with an appearance from Leonard Maltem explaining the historical context and and essentially saying a version of what you've just said where it's like same with the um the old uh, looney tunes dvds like these were made a long time ago so there's going to be some stuff in it enjoy uh, <laughs> but yeah no if it's just a streaming service i can fully understand why they would want to make sure that that is representative of what they want to put out into the world rather than for some reason i think that more than a hard copy even if it's sold right now so for example Fantasia has an example of this in it. Um, that's been edited since, I think... Well, certainly all my life this has been edited. I don't know if it was uh, before that um, or not in cinematic releases, but there's a scene in Fantasia where... Um, have you seen Fantasia? Yeah. Right. Well, there's the bit where it's all the... Um, uh, what do I mean? What's, what's the name for a, like a human body with a horse body on the back? Centaurs. Centaur, yeah. There are some centaurs, and there's a kind of a, a, a princess centaur who is having her hooves in some way scrubbed by not just a black centaur, but like one that is um, not exactly... I, I, I haven't seen it, so I don't know if it's like drawn like a mad racist stereotype or anything, but it's certainly drawn in the way that sort of like, you know, depictions of slaves were drawn. So what it's, they've done for that... Uh, it's a pauper centaur. It's a pauper if you like, um, but it's the only black one. So what they've done to sort that out is they've just zoomed in on the on the frame, and uh, and also that's and that's every version you can get as far as I'm aware. That's the Blu-ray, and so they've had to really meticulously clean it up to make it look like it isn't zoomed in. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they even redrew it. I don't. Uh, if they did, they'd have gone over the same lines. I don't mean redrawn it completely. Yeah. Oh, that's another thing, by the way. In the Lion King, they um, there's a scene. This is baffling, and I don't understand it. There's a scene in the middle of I Just Can't Wait to Be King, the song, where for about two seconds you see some crocodiles singing. And for the DVD release and subsequently every other release, they just redrew the crocodiles and in a different style. And it doesn't make sense why they did it. There's nothing even weird about the originals. No idea why. They, they do make some odd changes. So yeah, right. I like to have access to the originals, but I've absolutely no problem with them editing out things that I don't know just would make parents uncomfortable and therefore would feel dodgy about sitting down with their kids. Like, what do we do about Song of the South? Zippity-Doo-Dah is one of their most famous songs. And the jury is sort of out about whether that film is dodgy or not. Uh, many people say it is. Many people say it isn't. Disney have taken the easy route and just gone, great, we will never release it again. I think the last time it was released was the 80s. Um, we had it on VHS here a little bit later. And... They just, that's it now. It's just gone. It's never coming out again, which is why rather than doing that with Dumbo, I, I hope they just do something simple like re-record the voices, change the name of One Crow, but keep the option to watch the original one if you actually buy a hard copy of it. I think that might be the solution, by the way. Now that things, when things are going streaming and that's the main place we get our films from, buying a hard copy of a film ought to be where you get all of the, you know, the older versions or the, um, you know, because there's lots of Disney films that were made in 4 by 3 but were designed to be cropped to widescreen in the cinema. And you you should have both versions, that sort of thing. Yeah, it's, uh, it becomes more important that they keep releasing uh, disc versions like the mm. definitive kind of archival version of a film. Whereas yeah. uh, for streaming, I mean, um, that's where they're making the decisions of... Uh, making all material of the same age rating 
and uh, kind of sanitizing older material so it uh, matches what their internal sensitivity board uh, has uh, deemed okay for modern titles, kind of ma making everything uniform, not to tarnish the corporate image. Like that's why all the uh, Netflix Marvel shows uh, are unacceptable for Disney+. Plus. And uh, they canceled all the Netflix shows because they're going to make their own Marvel shows on Disney+. Plus. That will be uh, more of the age rating of the films. So that right. uh, if you're a fan of the Marvel films, because <clears throat> all of them are going to be on Disney+, Plus, if you watch the TV shows, they'll be exactly the same instead of the Netflix shows, which were uh, harder-edged. Right. So that that's what they'll do uh, also with the, the Star Wars uh, TV shows. Uh, they'll be more like the modern films, and uh, they won't be any different. <laughs> yeah, I'm not. Yeah. Um, I don't see myself getting Disney Plus. I mean, not not for that. I don't. I don't need any kind of bloodthirsty Star Wars TV show or anything. But um, hey, you know, I just don't see myself doing it because. Oh, I do. Oh, one thing I do like is that it means uh, apparently, allegedly, although I don't think we have mm. the full list yet, it means that they are just putting all their animated films out at once, um, which is a new thing. You know, the the Disney Vault idea means that we, you can go the better part of a decade without something like Lion King being available on on DVD or anything, which is just ridiculous. Yeah. And uh, I guess we can hope that they actually keep releasing disc versions and that they don't uh, decide that uh, streaming is the only thing they'll do now because it's uh, mm. uh, the place where they have 100% control to get all the revenue uh, without uh, any middlemen from stores. I mean, when you put it like that, frankly, they'd be mad to continue releasing discs at all, wouldn't they? Yeah. <laughs> so I guess that's that then. I guess that's that over with. Yeah, and it reminds me of... Uh, the words that come out about the, the production of Apple's uh, uh, streaming service where um, like Apple executives have been like giving notes to the people making the shows that will launch on the Apple streaming service because they, they want to, again, they also have a corporate image that's kind of Disney-like and squeaky clean. So any material that's... Uh, over the edge for them that uh, it, it's it's too hard-edged uh, in any way in, in language uh -huh. or content or anything apparently uh, tim cook said that the, the, the a show was too mean oh. <laughs> so they had to, had to re-film re some scene because it was too mean <laughs> oh well that's depressing isn't it because they <laughs> do have the power to do that they are apple so yeah people probably will uh edit their output in order to get on there and uh, it makes that's me a, a shame it makes me appreciate Netflix more because even mm. though Netflix has so much trash on it mm -hmm. and a lot of misguided stuff on it it's still all the people involved making the shows and movies and whatever they were given complete creative freedom to just do whatever they wanted so yeah. when you get something that's completely misguided, it's because the writers, directors, whatever involved, they personally made that mistake instead of uh, it being the result of uh, horrible corporate meddling with the top executives <laughs> who don't like uh, the content of the shows or whatever, and uh, some sensitivity board who want to sanitize it for children. 
And I guess it guarantees uh, Netflix's future because they will have their niche with like, uh, whereas uh, if you want something that's completely slickly produced but a bit bland, you can go to Disney Plus or Apple. Whereas if you want something that's uh, better and worse, <laughs> Netflix can be the place for it. Speaking of which, I understand you've been watching some of the bad Star Trek. Uh, yeah. Uh, yesterday, we had a <laughs> series finale for Star Trek Discovery. I think... Any good, first off? No. No good uh, at all. Now, this is the thing. <laughs> I, I think that we have in the air just some kind of negative crossness. Because plenty of people I am friends with, like, respect, they're perfectly reasonable people, they watch the good stuff, loved it. Enjoy Star Trek Discovery, won't hear a word against it, are annoyed that people complain about it, um, and I, I kind of wish I could be there. As you know, I've not watched it since um, sort of mid-series two. And the time, and I feel particularly bad about that, because the time when I gave up on it was, not forever, I intend to watch it, but there's just so many better things instead to watch, um, happened to be the exact same time that I gave my dad um, the first season on Blu-ray for his birthday. Because I was like, yeah, you'll probably, he's a, you know, he's a, been a trekker since the beginning or trekkie or whichever. Um, so I was like, yeah, you'll probably enjoy it. He didn't even know it was on. And, and this was like March this year. He didn't, he'd never heard of Discovery. So I'm like, yeah, get this on. Here you go. So I bought him it. And I don't regret that because, you know, I kind of enjoyed the first series. But I had to tell him, like, it's stupid, though. Here it is, but it, but it's stupid. But it's good, but it's stupid. And then series two, I haven't said it's good for a while. Um, not, oh, to be clear, I like a lot, almost all, of the cast, uh, particularly, you know, uh, what's name Jones, the the bendy man. Yeah, he's great, but the writing is something I can't quite cope with anymore. Yeah, and the final two episodes, they they illuminated the both the strengths and the weaknesses of uh, the show. So, in the second to last episode, uh, nothing happens because you have it's completely character focused where it's like they're saving all their money for the finale and the finale has uh, what looks mm. like uh, kind of half a season's budget poured into it it's ridiculous okay in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah for that episode but it's a bad way for the whole of the rest of the thing yeah so for in the second to last episode where uh, nothing happens it's a it shows you how horribly they botched every character arc in the series because you have okay. little moments with every character to just kind of remind you of like where they are what's happened with them over the season so you can kind of see kind of where, where, where they end up and I feel like with every character in, in the whole season it felt, felt like they were just spinning their wheels not doing anything substantive with them Mm-hmm. And that's the proof in the second and final episode because it feels like nothing is happening. And I, I'm looking at the actors and it's like, you were barely in this season. <laughs> mm. Everyone was just quipping. Nothing of substance happened. And mm. I, I made a note like 40 minutes into episode. It was like, uh, it feels like we're actually five minutes into the episode because nothing has happened. <laughs> and there's like eight minutes left. And so it's like, 43 minutes in, I felt like it was still spinning its wheels, nothing was happening. <laughs> yeah. and, and then we had the final episode where it's it shows that what the people who made the series really wanted to do 
they just wanted to make Star Trek movies. Right. They were probably real the biggest fans of the new Star Trek films. Yeah. And they just wanted to make Star Trek films because in the final episode it is like a modern Star Trek film except they almost like turned up even more than they are because there's hundreds of ships shooting at each other with hundreds of lasers crossing each other with pretty much the ship the ships are covered in explosions like an an old school 2D uh, shoot them up like when you blow <laughs> up a boss and there's like hundreds of tiny explosions over it that's kind yeah. of what discovery looks like there's like hundreds of explosions over it at the same time and in the interior of the ship every panel is blowing up everything is handheld the camera's whipping around wildly everyone's running around and it's like every bit of glass that can be broken is broken everyone's just screaming and it's so stupid but it's such a ridiculous spectacle. Like, the degree, the length they went to here, and I guess the level of delusion they were working with. <laughs> you know, in Inception, they put a corridor on, a, like, a giant rig and spun it around. So you have that action yeah. scene where they run around the corridor as uh, um, it's spinning. Um, yeah. They recreate that, so gravity oh. starts failing, and they have a fist fight against the villain, and you have a bunch of, it's like in a single take, you have a bunch of debris, and it's clear that it's like, that they're spinning the entire set around, and they're right. just punching at each other endlessly, <laughs> and they keep falling as gravity shifts around uh, one way and the other, and how much did they spend on that? completely vapid recreation of the inception corridor scene <laughs> right and, and if that what they're thinking of there is like oh remember how how excited everyone was for the daredevil fight in a corridor let's one-up that yeah unfortunately they did something someone else has already done maybe if they maybe if it had been original to this we would be excited by it but something tells me you can't uh, when your writing's been the way the writing's been, you can't just have a good action scene and we all go, oh, okay, it's good then. Yeah, and it was the opposite to a good action scene because it's just killing uh. time. It's just a bunch of showing off. It's like, uh. I bet you're impressed that we were able to do this on a TV budget. That's about it. It's, it's just yeah. a technical showpiece for what it's possible to do in a TV series where people nowadays say that, okay, Game of Thrones, it's unbelievably expensively produced. Like it, it's like a movie. And here they want to show again that, that uh, we, we can also make a TV series that's like a movie. So here you have something that was a, a recreation of a famous scene in a movie. Oh, that's so boring. Except there's no story content in the scene because yeah. they were punching each other before they arrived at that corridor. And then the corridor just spins around and they're punching each other and they're punching each other. And then they move over to a different set and keep punching each other. Like, <laughs> nothing yeah. happened there. <laughs> yeah. It was a break in the punching to show off the, how much money they were burning in the finale. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but because of the intensity of... And money they were able to burn on screen here. I mean, it is pretty entertaining, but it is entertaining in the same way as uh, the season opening of uh, uh, season two, where it was also just stupid, but uh, 
entertaining in the same way as the uh, newer Star Trek films. And this was uh, as well. Except then you reach the end of the season. And it just ends wide open. It's like they intentionally really? don't properly resolve the story. Oh, it's, God. Really? Yeah. It's They kind of halfway resolve it. But they also end with like a giant open thing where it's like, oh, we we can take this anywhere in the next season. Right. <sighs> oh, uh, yeah. And in the action finale, every character from the season shows up. So you have the stupid Klingon showing up again. And for uh, some reason, oh, yeah, it's so... Them. <laughs> I'd like to meet someone who actually likes the Klingons and is happy when they show up in this because they're just so tedious. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, right, so I think that Star Trek Discovery has poisoned or had poisoned my understanding of what TV is because, mm. you know, I was watching that and I was watching old Star Trek and obviously I knew that old Star Trek was much better, but it made me feel like TV used to be better. Um then Game of Thrones starts up, and it's the the new season. Uh, as the final season has just started, and we we're getting so I, I guess jealous because we didn't bother to watch the previous season, and the reason we didn't was because first off, we'd watched a heck of a lot of Game of Thrones by that point. You know, five whole seasons of it—that's a lot. And also, or six whole seasons rather. Also. We heard that the first episode, or, or I heard that the first episode, had something so gross in it that people were saying, like, don't watch this while you're eating. And I was like, well, okay, I won't. But that's the only time I watch anything. So we'll see if there's ever a time when I'm not eating and can watch the TV. We'll see. <laughs> I, I like that phrase. We'll see if there's ever a time when I'm not eating. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and, it, and it, I waited a year, and that time never happened. Uh, so I was like, oh, I, I guess we're not watching Game of Thrones anymore. The second episode of season seven, which is last year's season, mm. the current one is eight, came out. And again, they were like, okay, remember when we said last week that you shouldn't eat while watching it? That was a bit tongue-in-cheek. This one, you literally, something so disgusting happens in it that you absolutely, you literally cannot be eating while you watch this. So I'm like, great, I'm out then. That's Apparently, this is one of those shows now that's like a deliberate gross-out show because they remember there was one time when there was a lot of blood and everyone thought it was really cool because it was a genuinely dramatic twist. What? Okay, that's the end. I won't watch it anymore. Well, about a week ago, we were like, when, when the first episode of the new season came on, we were like, all right, let's, let's try and catch up. Let's see what we can do. And we started watching it. And it was so good that we ended up doing something we haven't done in, I mean, I can't even remember how long, which is that we basically binge-watched the whole season. We watch and uh, now to us that still means it takes a week. We but we watched three episodes in one day, two episodes another day. Like that is a lot of TV watching for us. We couldn't stop. We absolutely loved it. And apparently, this is the worst it's ever been. Like Game of Thrones fans hate season seven. They think it's stupid. They think it's simplistic and written for idiots. But my friends, I've been watching Star Trek Discovery. You can't, you can't touch me with that. It seems like the most grown-up thing I've watched in years. Like, the characters have reasons for saying things. The dialogue moves the story on, but not necessar- not just in ways 
where it's like the character comes up and says the subtext and then they turn around and move on and do a, a pained and anguished expression. No, they're they're speaking as though we can understand dialogue. They're talking as if their audience is adults. It's amazing to watch. So it's a bit like coming off Mass Effect Andromeda and then playing Witcher 3. <laughs> <laughs> well, as someone who uh, sensibly never played Mass Effect Andromeda, I'm not sure, but uh, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, the difference is something that's a bit insulting to a human being's intelligence, but it's still kind of entertaining. Yes. And, and then you go to something that's actually good. <laughs> yes, and when it's trying to be funny, it is. Yeah. And things like that. It, yeah, it's written. It, it, with it a utilizes subtlety. the yeah. full spectrum of human emotion instead of like yeah. hitting on something really simple and base. <laughs> yeah, and, and make, that's, that's my biggest objection, I think, for Star Trek Discovery is that they keep hitting on things that are simple and base and expecting us to believe that these, not just grown ass adults, but like trained military professionals. And like, well, maybe, you know, you may object to the word military, but whatever Starfleet is, these guys are trained as though they were military professionals. They are incredibly highly drilled. And for them to behave like a, like a bunch of seven-year-olds emotionally. It's just it, unnecessary. Yeah, it's, but I mean, uh, this is a cliche, but it does ruin immersion. Yes. Yeah, I mean, you can't take it seriously. <laughs> no. So anyway, uh, yeah, Game of Thrones, for for people who uh, sensibly don't know how much Game of Thrones I watch, because why would anyone uh, know that? I mean, yeah. I, 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 watched, I read uh, the first three books. Uh, I read the first one, like, in the early 2000s, before oh. anyone gave a tiny shit about it. It's, it was, <laughs> I was just reading a bunch of fantasy books, and it's like, oh... I read a bunch of Wheel of Time. I guess I'll read this uh, Game of Thrones thing. I, I think there were only like two books out at that time. Something. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I, I read it at that time. I thought, hey, this is really good. I, I, I look forward to this when more is out. And then the TV series started and it's like, what, there's only like four or five books out? <laughs> yeah. And uh, then I kind of watched it as the TV series was airing, and I watched the first three seasons, I read the first three books, and then what soured me on it, and what stopped me, was mm -hmm. the Game of Thrones Telltale game. Oh, yes, I remember that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was so annoyed by it, it felt like a, it was like a parody of Game of Thrones, and it, it right. kind of put me off uh, reading or watching anything more. Yeah, well, I think fans of the, uh, I think, you know, the more discerning fans think that that's what the series has become in a way. Um, but whatever, I like it. Yeah, I, I thought they went too far with that uh, caricature of Game of Thrones in the Game of Thrones game. So uh, that put me off of it. But now, many years have passed. And now I feel yeah. like I'm over it. I'm, I can finally accept Game of Thrones into my life again. So <laughs> uh, whenever uh, season eight kind of, comes to a close, I think I'll start watching uh, season four. <laughs> and I have oh, a, yeah. a lot of catching up to do. <laughs> well, why... I mean, season eight is on now, and it's only six episodes long, so to be honest, ah, okay. it's probably the right time to start, yeah. because you've got a lot to get through. Yeah. Yeah, maybe I'll... Just in I'll, terms I'll... of... It, I think if you started watching now, I guess what I'm saying is, I think you could catch up in time for the finale, and then you wouldn't have to worry about spoilers. Yeah. That's my that's my uh, 
intention well i was not intention i've succeeded i'm now up to date so um i'll be watching it week in week in week out yeah and then i'll be able to uh, uh, watch uh, reaction uh, videos from people with incorrect uh, opinions yes that'll be worth doing yeah <laughs> i um yeah i, I as soon as the epi- as soon as episode 8 was over i was like oh i know what i'm going to do now i don't do this often I'm going to go and read the something awful thread about this because, of course, they have rolling threads for you know every uh, episode of things. And uh, well, say what you will about something awful, I'm far more comfortable with its layout and format uh, than I am with something like Reddit, which I find tremendously difficult to follow with all of the uh, the sub trees and so on. Yeah. And um, so yeah, I went on there, and of course, they're all just whinging and being idiots. It's all just a lot of whining, and uh, so it no, is- I didn't have a good experience you the, go back don't you sometimes you just go back to the old comfortable things and they let you down yeah well it is useful to see how different uh, human experience or something can be because if you're among friends and mm. even on twitter you get blind to you you hear that there are echo chambers but you think that yeah of course there are but i'm not in one i'm i'm better than that and then you go to the something awful film or tv forums and then you see that <laughs> oh no there is actually a completely different world where people appear to be completely insane i guess <laughs> i actually am in a bubble because this isn't my day-to-day life <laughs> yeah um yeah 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 i guess so and you see why it's natural for people to create their own bubbles because it would be simply too stressful to live in a world where Every conversation was like being in the uh, something awful TV form, mm. where people yeah. lose their goddamn minds over everything. <laughs> yeah, I, yes, there's a. It's a that that's a tricky topic because, like, on the one hand, that's what friendship is. You know, having an having a group that you sync up with, that is what friends are. And then, well, no, not not exactly, but that's a thing that happens in socializing. But then there's. The fact that you go around seeing people who've done it and what they've created for themselves is anger. And that's the shared thing. And I've done that before. I've been in, I've, uh, you know, I've, you know, we've all got friends that the thing we do with that friend is sit and gossip and, and get annoyed about things. And that's the way we relate. And it's like fun. It's a lot of fun. But I wonder if it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, in the case of the the uh, awful forums thread about Game of Thrones, yeah, they've got themselves to the point where they think it's just the stupidest, crappiest thing on the TV, but they cannot stop watching it because they won't know what happens next. And like, yeah, and if you is genuinely that, is that fun, so yeah, if you're a person listening to it and you genuinely think Game of Thrones is the stupidest, crappiest thing on TV right now, you have no idea how stupid TV can get. <laughs> I mean, that's my assertion, but I could be wrong. I often am. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, yeah, Game of Thrones is actually, uh, I mean, it's it can be, well, it is pretty tedious to see so many websites, so many people just talking about it automatically when it starts airing. Like, you don't have to look right. up when Game of Thrones is airing because, like, Ars Technica posts trailer reaction uh articles about it and it's like aren't you above this <laughs> nope <laughs> it's the most easy thing 
<laughs> so I know that oh it's it's out and uh, there's like an episode out because every single website on the internet writes an article every time an episode comes out. It's like, oh. You see, that's another situation like the Disney remakes where I'm like, this is this is frustrating that it has to be this way, but also. I don't have anything personally against the individuals who write these reports because they've got to do they've got to get work. So it's like you make a living and I'll just be I'll just despair about the fact that this has to exist. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I guess there's worse things they could be writing about. They got they got sure. a pad pad website with content somehow. So I guess one thing you could do is uh, lie and smear about people or you could write about Game of Thrones. So on the whole, I think we lucked out. <laughs> Right. Uh, what else? I guess I played Sekiro. Yes. So yeah, Abby's deep into that. Um, we didn't think we were going to get it, but then um, my brother was like, "Wait, I didn't get Abby anything for her birthday. I'll get her Sekiro." <clears throat> so she's loving this game. Mm. Yeah, and I'm not that far into it. I looked at my play counter. I'm only ten hours into it because it uh-huh. is. It it asks a lot of you. I mean, there, yeah. there are some games that um, don't expect much from the audience at all, and uh, they some games are made with the assumption that the audience is someone who <clears throat> has never played a game before, doesn't care about games, and is barely paying attention, and is maybe a bit thick as well. Probably the most annoying person you could possibly ever have a conversation <laughs> with. Uh, because uh, in Halo 2, for example, the game starts with a tutorial where it's like, look up. And you have to prove to the game that you can look up. It's like, oh, you have yeah. to calibrate your suit. So you have to... There, you can't look left or right or in any other direction. The only thing you can do, you can't skip this. You have to press on the stick so you look up and then look down and left and right. And it's like, do you know what confuses me? <laughs> What I, I yeah I agree that is a pain and it's tedious. What really confuses me is that nearly every like um, PC game, like <clears throat> PC ass game, like RTS games, my settler style games, yeah, those do it as well. They're like, okay, use the mouse wheel to scroll to zoom in. It's like yeah, I know every literally every game of this sort does that, and you don't get to be a PC gamer straight away like you do if you say buy a playstation you you i don't know maybe i'm wrong about that but i feel like most people who are a pc gamer know what a mouse is already and uh, as an example google maps oh people can use google maps without a tutorial about how to uh, zoom in and out yes (laughs) yes Yes, you're right. Like, how stupid do you think the audience is? Who are you imagining when you're making this? Okay, I can understand having a tutorial, but there's there's some ways to make a tutorial, and then there's the other way where you make me, like, angry because of how insulted I feel. Well, they used to have it right in in Settlers and PC games and things, which is that the tutorial was its own separate selectable thing on the menu. And in fact, I think they do that in Dishonored 2 as well. Yeah. So anyway, in uh, Sekiro, it does the same same thing from software have done with uh, having now played their very first games on PlayStation 1, like Kingsfield 1, 2, 3, and 4. I can tell that a lot of the things that From Software do right, 
they miraculously got right almost from the very start of their company in like the early 90s. Pretty much from the King's Field 2 and forward. A lot of the thoughtful bits of design that people appreciate about their games are, are already there. Where, for example, when you start the game, any of their games, you're given a space where kind of nothing is happening. You haven't been introduced to fighting yet. So uh. all you do in the first bit when you control the character is you have a space where you can move around and get used to the controls. And uh, it, it, there's maybe a marker on the floor where you can stand over and look at and it can tell you a bit. But it's very non-intrusive. It's very kind of... It's a tutorial in a very hands-off way where yeah. it it isn't forcing you to do anything. So if you know how to control and fight and everything, you can just run out the door and you're kind of in the proper game uh, within 30 seconds in pretty much all of their games. Like, you play the start of Dark Souls <laughs> 1, so you, you have a feel now of how the tutorials work where yeah. you start off... Like, all, almost all their games, if you see someone playing deep into the game, it looks overwhelming and very, very difficult. And mm-hmm. that's how the Kingsfield games look to me when I just looked at like gameplay videos on YouTube before playing them. They look yeah. really ugly and obtuse. And when I actually play them, I noticed that, no, they really ease you into the game in a very thoughtful way, where at the start... There's almost nothing. It's stripped down to the very basics. So it's impossible to fail because there's nothing going on in the game. It, mm. And then they carefully add on little bits of complexity over the course of the game. So it scales up very naturally. And Sekiro does that as well. That's and, exactly what you should do. And it's yeah. honestly one of the biggest reasons why I've never quite been able to play um, uh, things like Fortnite. Because they just, and I say things like Fortnite, I'm going back to the, the dawn of multiplayer online because they just drop you in and you have to be the best or you immediately die. And I'm not, so I don't play them. Yeah. And uh, in, in the late 90s, we had uh, multiplayer games like yeah, Unreal Tournament and uh, mm. Quake 3 that had extensive single player modes. So you yeah. could really learn how to play the game uh, on your own terms before going online. And the reason they stopped doing that is because pe- the developers noticed everyone was just playing those games in single player. Almost nobody played them online because the uh, oh. AI bots were really good. So you didn't actually need to play the games online. But the good thing is you can still go and play Unreal Tournament from 99. And yeah. it's still an excellent game. And you you don't have to play with i don't know the five people who are still playing it online it's not dead (laughs) like uh, most other multiplayer games yeah Uh, so anyway yeah sekiro it's uh it's when it was first announced a lot of people were a bit disappointed because it wasn't a franchise entry this is the paradox of uh, modern games where it's like everyone screams for original games and whenever an original game is announced, everyone screams that it isn't uh, a franchise entry. So yeah. it's a completely new game. So it is like if they took Dark Souls and Bloodborne and they subtracted everything that wasn't fit for a ninja action game. <laughs> yeah. So 
it at the same time feels very familiar in a very basic way, but you can't play them like Bloodborne and Dark Souls. So, uh, I, I for for a lot of people, it has been a bit harsh at the start because they can't play them the way they're used to. Like you're not most of the time, you're not supposed to dodge. You're supposed to like deflect attacks, and it can take yeah a bit to learn. And that's why I'm not very far into it because right, it's there are like mini bosses in the game and some of them can feel incredibly harsh the first yeah, time you Yeah, yeah, I've I've seen Abby play a couple of them and it's it, it yeah, it really is. But also as with any sort of game like this, you plug away at it and you gradually you do get better and then you're like, "Oh, you just sort of make the discoveries." So, it's almost like the whole game is its tutorial. And yeah. That's a good it, way it, it it is a, this is the one of the from software ways of teaching you how to play where and um, they use death as kind of a teaching tool to dissuade you from doing certain things. So if you do something yeah. that fails immediately, that's kind of a signal from the game that try to do something else. And mm. that usually makes it a whole lot easier. You know, when um, when I was uh, looking at the Something Awful thread about Game of Thrones, Abby went and looked at the Something Awful thread about this. Yeah. And um, she was just delighted to see that there was... There were people such as the following. There was a guy who was like pre-ordered it. He was posting his, you know, his pre-order ticket, all of that sort of stuff. Really excited. It comes out, and by the end of the day, he's posted a picture of the disc in the bin because <laughs> because they're like, no, they've ruined it. This is too hard. We can't play this. It's not. It's 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 in no way is this like Dark Souls. They've changed this. They've changed that. And it's like, right, the reason you like Dark Souls. Is not because it's hard. And that's not what Dark Souls is. It's not like, oh, hard, like in some platonic, subjective way, uh, objective way. What it is, is that when you played it, you hadn't played anything quite like it. And you persisted, and you got the satisfying feeling of gradually finding your way into it. That is what you enjoyed. That is why you liked Dark Souls. So why aren't they prepared to do it again? The idea that it has to be the same as Dark Souls, or it isn't good. So silly. Yeah. And for anyone who's played the game and is uh, maybe discouraged by how hard it is, I really recommend playing it at least until you get to the horse rider boss, who's like the first real boss in the game. He's so cool. Yeah. Is he the guy who goes, the door remains closed? Yeah. Oh, he's great. Yeah. And it's such a... I thought it was an excellent boss. It's relatively yeah. easy by the game standard, but it's completely appropriate because it's about like the spectacle of it. And it's yeah. so rare to have something in a game be cool and exciting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Abby was sitting there playing it, like going through the experiences that normally you would go through just before you quit playing because you were so annoyed. But she was loving it. She was so excited. That got something about the way they present that guy. You want him to win. Yeah. <laughs> you don't mind when he kills you because you're like, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. And, and also, oh, this is all, also what's clever about it. Yeah, he's quite large physically, but he's essentially a man on a horse, like a human man on a horse. He's just, just like, maybe not just, but the, the previous thing to him that you fought is a gigantic otherworldly creature. That the the uh, I won't spoil, but the appearance of which is just in and of itself amazing and awe inspiring and great. And for a man on a horse to follow that 
and be the thing you remember as the coolest thing, that is got to be good. Yeah. That's got to be well made. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there it is. The game has apparently been really successful financially, and I'm really happy for them. And I'm, I'm glad that from software are rewarded when they make something that is new and exciting probably to them and it shows that oh the audience is also excited and rewards them so they can keep making stuff like this that is very different and to some people it'll be off-putting because it is different but it is still uh, finding an audience not a massive audience but big enough for what they do so for example uh, a thing that from software does uh, with uh, with their games that um, many other kind of failed studios don't do is they're technically very conservative when it comes to their uh, engine and how their games are built. So uh, last time from software had a technical nightmare of the style of uh, Bioware was uh, with Dark Souls 2 because uh, in Dark Souls 2 that was the last time they made like a major uh, new engine. And right. the whole design of Dark Souls 2 was made around uh, a fancy real-time lighting system. It was supposed to be about uh, going into dark caves with a torch and lighting your way. And in the very first uh, Dark Souls 2 reveal video, it's uh, eight minutes long and the game still looks gorgeous in that clip. You could see like what the game was supposed to be. And then uh, that didn't work. So with a year before release, they pretty much remade the game. And the lighting in Dark Souls 2 is often really flat and looks horrible. And the game design is, like, nonsensical because they kind of had to restructure and redo the game kind of halfway through because of the technical nightmare they ran into. But ever since then, they've been very restrained in what they do uh, with the graphics technology in their games because all of them, their games since look pretty much the same on a technical level. They're doing very tiny steps forward, but that guarantees that uh, everything is very predictable to them. So when they make Bloodborne and Dark Souls 3 and Sekiro, it's like they're same on a technical level, but they know that if we play to the engine's strength, even though everything is very static, they still have really strong art design and they know what will happen when they make the game and they know how long everything takes to do. And that's why they can put out Sekiro. And it's a fully functional game. It feels completely formed. Like it's a game that's done. <laughs> <laughs> and it works exactly like how it should. Right. Because they didn't uh, kind of overstretch themselves. And uh, do something mad. Yeah. Like uh, so many studios do. So... Uh, and I, th I think it probably that means that the game was <laughs> so much cheaper to make <laughs> than um, most kind of Western games <laughs> mm -hmm. that tried to push technology too far. And uh, I guess because they have so good art, such a good art team, and it, it, like people love their designs and their characters so much more than anything in uh, kind of high budget Western games that yeah are more amazing technically, but so bland in many other ways, because I guess they, they don't have time for real art when the technology doesn't work at all and so much has to be thrown out and redone all over over again. So anyway, yeah, Sekiro is good. <laughs> it's good, yeah. Yeah, 
And I mean, as a contrast, uh, because Notre Dame burned down, uh, Ubisoft put out the Assassin's Creed Unity for free. And it's the only Assassin's oh. Creed game I've actually been interested in playing because it's the Paris one. It's the... Um, Wait, did they? Where do I get this for free? It's free on Uplay. Whatever, I've got Uplay, I'll take it. Yeah. And it, is. It, it might be on Steam as well because I saw people uh, mention it, but I, I I just opened up Uplay and it was there and you can play it for free now. And um, yeah, I'm glad I didn't pay for it. <laughs> ah, really? <laughs> it's um, painfully mediocre. Really? It's, uh, it's exactly like all the other Assassin's Creed games, except it's... Um, at every turn, it feels like it's only 70% as good as it should be. I mean, that's Assassin's Creed, isn't it? Yeah. Until, until the last couple, which have been quite good. But no, as I understand it, the last two have been good. Yeah. And before that, they were the definition of a basic game. Yeah. And I'm amazed that... Assassin's Creed was ever to, able to find like a huge audience because of how bland this is. Like uh, the way it plays, I, I I feel like I can't recommend it. I, I wouldn't be able to recommend it warmly in the same way as like Witcher or something. It doesn't feel like there's anything real, uh, really satisfying about the game in any way. Right. <laughs> and I haven't gotten to Paris yet. That's the most frustrating thing. I just mm. wanted to re- experience Paris, but. It starts off with a prologue in the 1300s about something that's completely meaningless and pointless. And then after that, you get the stupid Assassin's Creed framing, which is you're a person in the future playing a game uh, where the game uses uh, your DNA to experience the past of your ancestors. And as you're playing the game... Uh, some hackers are hacking the stream and telling you that, oh no, the corporation that made this device are uh, using the information in your past uh, for nefarious deeds. So it's like, yeah, what else is new? Like, maybe this person owns like an Amazon Alexa as well. And as we know, there's like uh, themes, uh, teams of thousands who are listening to voice snippets from Alexa and sharing it within internal chat teams when they overhear distressing things. <laughs> so this is like, okay, so this person is playing like a virtual reality immersion thing where he experiences his ancestors' past in Paris and a corporation is going to use that in some way. It's like, I don't <laughs> think the player actually cares. <laughs> Uh, one of one of the interesting things about the moment the series like turned its corner and became good with the Egyptian one is like that they stopped doing that. They just went, no, nah, you're just playing the actual game this time. I think they I think they gradually build it back in and reintroduce it. But from the off, you're like, you don't have to put up with that. By the way, did you get this message? Because I've gone into play and I've uh, and I've found the game and I've clicked it. And by the way, it's still 25 quid on Steam. So you do have to go to Uplay. Hmm. And I've clicked it and it says, Assassin's Creed Unity. A big pop-up's come up. Assassin's Creed Unity. Click OK to attach the game to your Ubisoft competition. Competition? Yeah. That... I think they mean account. Yeah, I didn't get that. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm, I've now attached it to my Ubisoft competition. Hmm. And it's 50 gigs. Oof. Is it really? Yeah. Okay. Hey. I, I will not be installing it at this time because I do not care. But I've got it. Yeah. 
And yeah, the game is very pretty. And that means it's such a shame that in every scene, in every cutscene, it feels like, oh, this is kind of like a scene in something good, sort of. It's not really. And it's always like, it's not quite good enough in any way. Like, every scene is botched just a bit, so you don't really get invested in anything. It really is like, oh, this scene was like 70% done. And this mission was 70% done. And kind of this everything was 70% done. Because it's like all the fighting and the traversal and the story and everything. It's just nothing is satisfying. <laughs> By the way, I'm probably now about to buy uh, the pirate one. I believe Black Flag is the yes. pirate one, yes? That is down to £5.78 on the Uplay store at the moment. So why not? Yeah, I mean, that's the one that people are enthusiastic about. So Yep. It might be genuinely good, whereas yeah. un- it is uh, Unity, the Paris one, is just... They fell a bit short in every way. And that's, again, one of those projects that was a technical nightmare because it was the first proper next-generation one. And they were too ambitious. So, to this day, the game doesn't run well on any console. <laughs> uh. Really, and, and it's still used in like uh, benchmarks of a modern system because it's in s- certain scenes it can still be a system killer. <laughs> oh God! Oh no! Yeah, have they at least fixed the floating eyes and teeth bug? Uh, yes. Shame. Yeah. <laughs> have they fixed the thing where the two random people chatter on in the background of cutscenes? We'll see. I hope not. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, that that shows that they were putting out Assassin's Creed games on a yearly basis, and it was too much for them. (laughs) Yeah. Who can blame them? That is a lot of work. Yeah. Hell of a lot of work. But anyway, I'm glad glad that Notre Dame burned down so we were able to get the game for free. (laughs) Well, and they seem to have saved most of it, right? Like, they've lost the roof, but they managed to get all the artifacts out. They've lost the steeple. Yeah. It seems to be... You know, not 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 like a happy ending, but better than we thought the night it was going on. Yeah, I mean, the big worry was that like it was going to be completely scorched, and now it's like yeah. no, more than we dared to hope for survived. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I didn't say anything at the time because I am uh, one of the people who thinks that like, well, as long as you rebuild it, it's fine. Um, I didn't want any of the, you know, artifacts inside to to be damaged or whatever. But in terms of the actual structure of the building, I'm go- I'm going well re- rebuild it. It's been rebuilt before. You're going to rebuild it, obviously. And then, it, as far as I'm concerned, that counts, and it's it's basically the same building. Um, but no, a lot of people were very upset, genuinely upset, which is why I didn't mention anything about it because it's like, even if all that there was was structural damage and everything inside was safe, that was still very upsetting to people who think of like. Well, literally, these timbers have been up for hundreds of years, and I definitely get that. I was, I was, I was very concerned that the uh, about the stained glass windows, the particularly the famous um, flowery circular one, because apparently we don't have those techniques anymore that they made that with, because it involved like searching the world for particular kinds of ash that we don't do anymore or something. Yeah, it's it's one thing uh, with like, just the structure itself. Uh, everything that we can rebuild, it's no biggie if that that stuff breaks but all the stuff that's near impossible to recreate that's like a real tragedy if if that's lost yes although uh, 
I can't help but think that the, the real tragedy has already happened, which is that we've lost those techniques. <laughs> yes. Like, nobody wrote it down. Yeah. Nobody made a stained glass window explaining how to do it. <laughs> hey, where's the YouTube tutorial? Yeah. What I will mean, happen to society when um, YouTube goes down? Uh, well, <laughs> oh God, you're right. Yeah, we do learn everything from that now. Yeah. Oh God. There was a conversation on Twitter the other day about how, like, uh, our parents can just do DIY. And I've always been confused about that. And then it's like, no, it's because they could afford their own house. (laughs) (laughs) And they could afford their own house when they were, like, 22 and an idiot. So they were straight away like, oh, I'm going to hammer. I'm going to change the walls. I'm going to build this stuff in the house. And it's like they just learned by doing that. Yeah, I would when, never dare to do that now. Yeah, and when they were our age, they had several children already. Yeah, yeah, which presumably changes your perspective. So you're like, ah, yeah, screw it. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna build whatever. I'm gonna put a new roof on this house. There we go. I've done it. It worked. Now I know D- uh, DNA DIY. Yeah. But uh, yeah, for the rest of us, we'd have to go on YouTube t- tutorials to learn anything because books won't do. I've got a book under the sink of like how to do DIY stuff absolutely that is never going to help me at all and it's the same thing that like you know it's like an old reader's digest hardback probably the exact same thing that the likes of our parents would have learned from no i'm not capable of in taking information in in that way anymore i have to watch it happening yeah (laughs) i'm very thankful to everyone who knows any kind of trade who puts up uh, tutorial videos on uh, youtube yeah it's so useful yeah so anyway. I mean, it might be useful if they took on some apprentices and trained some people up and paid them, but uh, the, hey, this means that we benefit. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, just, <laughs> it's, it's nice when you can stumble over someone who is like surprisingly entertaining as well as being yes. just really good at their craft. It's like, oh, well, I've been a car mechanic for uh, 60 years and uh, now I'm an old man. I'm going to make YouTube videos about car mechanic stuff and I'm really entertaining. I'm putting up meme images. I know someone who is deep into the YouTube welding community and can tell you who the best welding video makers are. Mm. I'm not surprised. (laughs) (laughs) Is there there a a welding drama? (laughs) Probably, but he he was kind enough not to tell me about it. Yeah, (laughs) Weldgate. I feel sort of done for the morning. How about you? Yeah, me as well. Uh, guess we'll uh, look up if there's a weld con. Oh man! Oh, what would you? What would be? I feel like I don't know enough about welding, but I feel like there would be a task you'd have to perform to get into weld con. But then <laughs> most of the tasks I can think of involving welding would make it harder for you to be in weld con, like welding the door shut. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Anyway, bye. Bye. <laughs>